Mission Creep, fresh and frank voices in global development. It's obvious that Coney should be stopped. I felt like smashing my glasses there. You have a true friend down under. Welcome back to another episode of Mission Creep, fresh and frank voices in global development. I'm Brendan Rigby, co-founder of YDev, and I'm joined today, as always, by Carly Stefan from the Centre for Social Change. Hello. And Wei Yo from OIC, the Cambodia Project. Welcome back. Morning. It's funny to see you guys face to face. Yes, we happen to be all here in the one studio together in Melbourne, i.e. my living room. <laughs> and the fact that we find it difficult to all get good internet connection at the same time, we're all in the one room. This is, Imagine this is that. rarer than a solar eclipse, I think. Yeah, it's good. Although we're in Australia, so the internet connection is still pretty bad. So today we're going to talk about three topics, as per usual. First, Carly is going to be talking about Nepal, then I'm going to follow looking at salary caps, and Wei is going to bring it home, talking about the man drought. So Carly, start us off. Well, yeah, we all know about what's been going on in Nepal, and the overwhelming need that people have felt to assist. So we've been inundated on Twitter and Facebook with donations and calls for donations and crowdfunding and all of this sort of thing. And I was having a conversation with a friend the other day who was basically talking about how he felt that he wanted to go there and actually assist because I think he's going, he's going back to Asia to, to travel. He's like, oh, I'm going to go to Nepal and, and help out however I can. And I said, well, I, I don't think that's a very good idea and gave him a few of the, the regular sort of development worker reasons, which do you have the expertise to do it? Are you going to just get in the way? There are far better placed people to be doing that sort of work on the ground already. And um, he was saying, well, what happened to altruism? Where's altruism? Why can't I? Why can't it just be an altruistic thing that I'm doing here in in giving my time and my labour to this cause? And I thought, well, is it altruistic to want to go into somewhere like a recent disaster zone to help out, uh, or is it something more? Uh, I don't know. I guess a bit selfish. You know, is it is it because you know you're going to feel better for doing that? Uh, or is it really your skills and expertise that's needed on the ground? Um, you know, which one is it? And then, yeah, sort of wondered what you guys thought. Basically. Well, just to play devil's avocado, <laughs> why avocado. would that be any different than any other aid worker? I mean, are we altruistic or are we just selfish? Mm. Well, I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. But surely aid workers are maybe a little bit better trained than someone who is just just wanting to go and help. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically saying, why shouldn't I? So he's talking about the why, mm, mm. and the why is altruism in yeah. his eyes. Yeah. But you're talking about the how, mm. um, like how you help, what kind of training you have. Or can you, really? Can you, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it's sort of, I think there's a bit of a concept of people just, they just need extra manpower there, you know, like an extra pair of hands to lift the rubble or, or that kind of thing that's actually dangerous, I think, to, to essentialise it down to that's really all they need and, and it's actually the experts that need to be in there right now. And maybe in a longer term kind of um, case, there might be room for some kind of assistance in the cleanup or whatever. But when it's this really, really crucial stage post, um, post-disaster, it's, you can really muck things up. But the altruism is fine, right? It's just, like you said, yeah. how we express 
our altruism. Mm, so, why do people feel the need to express their altruism in such extreme ways? Why can't they just be satisfied giving cash directly to an organization mm. and being satisfied with that contribution? Yeah. Why do they feel the need to have to go and do something? Maybe there's a concern that they don't know where that cash is going. And it's, well, if I, I know if I'm going to Nepal and I know if I can give my labor, then that's, you know, I know that I'm making a difference of some kind. I think people want to connect as well and they don't feel like they can connect just through cash. Like they want to be able to see, they want to have the feels. They want to have the, the feels. feels. And that you only really get that when you're actually there mm. on the ground, whereas giving cash feels a bit too distant. Mm. But is that altruism? So it's altruism and feels, yeah. you know. <laughs> what, what is it that you really want in this situation? Is it, you know? Well, actually, I was going to say that's a really good place to start because I, I had this conversation a couple of times, but one of them was with a friend who has a lot of experience with people who want to do volunteering and necessarily don't, maybe they don't have the skills to do it. And I said, you know, it always reaches this awkward part of the conversation where I feel like I should be preaching to them about how to help best. And it's clear to me that the way they want to help is not that way that we prescribe. Mm. So I said to her, I asked this person, how do you broach the topic? And she said, I find the best way to start is to talk about asking them, what do you actually want to do? Like, what do you actually want to contribute and what's the end result that you want to see? And then you help navigate them to get there. Mm. And then explaining it that way is more less threatening, perhaps. Mm. And that might open up the door to other ways like giving cash or, you know, not going there. So mm. you play the role of a coach mm. more than Guide, in guiding, and yeah. a guider rather mm. than a preacher. Gatekeeper. A gatekeeper. Gatekeeper slash coach. I think I agree with that and I I do suggest a similar thing but along the lines of what is it that you do best? Mm. What is your strength? So is it in is it in social media and marketing for example? Mm. So you know you want to go and build a school or help with the reconstruction effort of whatever. Uh, maybe what would be better is if you use your expert skill in assisting an organization on the ground with with helping them promote their charity, their, their fundraising by social media or marketing, what, you know, if, that, if that's your area of expertise, rather than going in on the ground and doing the, the brick lifting or whatever, can you find someone who's actually doing an effective job on the ground and using your strength and expertise to assist them? You know, it may not be give you the feels yeah. that, that you want in terms of actually being there, but you're probably giving more effective aid by using your strength in that, in that instance. But do you think it's also part of the problem is for the man on the street, average kind of guy, trying to find these effective organisations, trying to find the people who you can actually give money to is difficult, right? Mm-hmm. They only really know the big name NGOs that they see, um, you know, publicised on TV and so on. So how, does it, how would someone like that actually mm-hmm. find? And that's always the problem is I like the one-on-one coaching, guiding mm-hmm. aspect, but if you to reach a broad public audience we seem to have to keep repeating ourselves every mm. time there is a disaster we have to say the same type of messages again and again don't go there don't send stuff send catch <laughs> do this do that we have to keep repeating ourselves mm. again and again and again yeah so i'm not sure what the solution is there i don't know if we need some sort of charity navigator for australia in particular i know Charity Navigator is a website slash NGO in the US where you can go and have a look at how they rate charities, mm. who's 
best to give to in what situation, mm. what circumstance. Do we need one for Australia? Mm. Because we don't have one. Mm. You know, we, we just have the people on the street, the charity mothers, <laughs> Oxfam, World Vision, yeah. Save the Children. And that's how people know about a lot of these NGOs. Mm. What about all the smaller ones who are, mm. who are in places like Nepal and Haiti and Vanuatu, who are doing just as effective work but don't get the same fundraising? Mm. Don't have the same promo budgets. But I think you might be hosting an event very shortly <laughs> to help people navigate this, this particularly this Nepal Nepal quake issue. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, look, we're in Melbourne on Wednesday the 13th of May at the York Butter Factory. We've got a great panel of really diverse people, which I like. It's not just a panel of NGO representatives. Uh, in fact, we only have one NGO representative from Australia. Then there's myself. There's uh, Richenda from Integrity, which is a digital marketing agency. Uh, Jen from World Vision Australia. And... Kishan, who is a uh, Nepalese man who's coming all the way down from Sydney, who is the managing director of a Nepalese NGO, and he's going to provide, I think, the most valuable insights Fantastic. about what's happening on the ground and how best to try and give directly to Nepalese NGOs. Because there are problems, you know, if you want to go local, there are problems going local as well. There are organisations that you cannot trust that are Nepalese. Mm. There are, there are scammers all the time. People mm. always take advantage of these situations to set up, you know, air quotes, yeah. NGOs. Quasi-charity. Yeah, or they go to GoFundMe or they set up a mm. crowdfunding campaign and you have no idea what the reliability or authenticity mm. of these mm. organizations are. So it's, it's very difficult to avoid the big plays. It's very difficult yeah. to say, hey, I want to give cash directly to this Nepalese NGO that's providing shelter to... 100 families in this small village. Mm. So in the absence of a charity navigator for local NGOs at Vets, how do you guys find out about local organisations to give to? Well, I guess working in the sector, mm. we do tend to come across a few, but that very much depends on basically the countries that I work in directly. Mm. Uh, so I know far more about Fiji than I do about Nepal, as an example. Uh, I would probably give a friend a call mm. if I you know, wanted to... to to directly donate to someone on the ground there. If I didn't know anyone in that country, I You'd don't be know. Stuck, right? I'd be totally stuck. Yeah, I'd, I'd take the Eddie Maguire who wants to be a millionaire approach. <laughs> you have your three options, right? <laughs> like 50-50. So I have, I have four options. Can, can you eliminate two for me? Yeah. Okay, great, thanks. You ask the audience, which is my network, yep. which again, you know, we have good networks because we're in the sector, so we're a little mm. bit more in the know. Or, you, yeah, you phone a phone friend. Around. You phone someone who has worked in Nepal yeah. or is currently working in Nepal mm -hmm. and is really in the know. Mm -hmm. And there is a there is a open Google document going around, which we will share on the Lighted website, that has been crowdsourced of Nepalese NGOs that you can donate directly to and mm -hmm. that, that have been vetted by people in the know. So we'll make sure to share that on Lighted. Well, maybe that's the answer, though, for the man in the street. There needs to be a dialer. Dial a dial a networker who's worked in Nepal or something like this. Some kind of like social network to vet local organisations because it's easy for us. Like I know someone who's worked in Nepal. I know someone who's worked in blah blah. But what about you know if I worked as an electrician, I wouldn't really have those networks, right? So yeah, opening up the door, which is kind of my gripe with things like Charity Navigator. It's a great concept, but unfortunately, just through economy of scale. They can't go around doing all these tiny little ones. They just do the big ones instead. So we're just sticking yeah. with the same people then. Yeah. 
But who's going to lead it? Because you, you're not going to get one of the big NGOs leading no. this type of phone a friend, dial an aid worker initiative, are you? Who's going to. I think Eddie McGuire. Yeah. Definitely Eddie Yeah, Maguire. that's what it is, hands. <laughs> <laughs> not sure about that. Mm. Um, I think we can think of another personality. <laughs> and, and another Bono. Bono. Come on, guys. Well, yeah, it's been 10 minutes and we haven't mentioned Bono oh, yet, so yeah. I think. Pretty much compulsory talking point for every mission podcast. <laughs> so speaking about fundraising, I think that was a nice segue into the next topic, which is about the salary cap. So <laughs> the salary cap. The salary cap. Hashtag the salary cap. There was a, new, a recent article this week on YDEV about the ethics of fundraising, particularly NGOs doing the fundraising. And the author, Tom Jarman, pointed out that the CEO of Oxfam America earns almost half a million dollars a year in salary. And this is an organization that has made one of its main themes globally inequality. So it's kind of asking, is, is that right? Can an organization that pays its CEO half a million dollars a year have the uh, validity and legitimacy to talk about inequality? And so that kind of got me thinking about, well, how much should we pay CEOs? Yes, but how much should people who work in the sector generally get paid? Mm. You know, we don't often talk about the salary of your everyday aid NGO worker. Mm. When I think about this conversation, say, in, in my sector in education, and I think about teachers, that's always a conversation that, that everyone has an opinion on, you know, you're, because everyone's involved in education, parents, the government, councils, yeah. business, everyone has an opinion about how much teachers should get paid. So how much should an NGO worker get paid? Mm. Particularly in such a resource-constrained environment, should we be seeking the pay for the best? Or should we have a salary cap on how much NGO workers get paid, in particular CEOs? You know, professional sports leagues in mm. Australia, in the US, have most of them have salary caps. Mm. Mm. Of course, these salary caps are in the millions of dollars <laughs> per player. The oh. gazillion dollars. That's right. You know, you can you can pay individual players up to fifteen to twenty million dollars a year in in the National Basketball League or the National Football League. But here, so should we have a salary cap for NGO workers? I think. I mean, I think the interesting thing about this article for me was that well, I, I struggled to come up with an exact figure of where this line lies. Like, you know, is 400,000 too much? Is 100,000 too much? It's hard to say. But I thought the interesting thing about this article was that it mentioned inequality internally in the NGO. So it said people in Oxfam America at the bottom end of the level of, uh, earn $10.50 an hour. Mm. That's and, the charity. Sorry? The charity fundraiser people on the street. Is that right? I, don't, I can't remember who it was that specifically owns that little, it could be like the cleaners maybe even, I'm not sure. Mm. But is it fair that you have the guy at the top earning so much more in relation to the person at the bottom? Mm. Um, you know, there's internal equality there. So yeah. are, they, are they practicing what they preach? Yeah, yeah, I agree. That internal pay equity thing is an issue. And it's kind of the internal, it's your own internal Gini coefficient. And I reckon that, I, I don't think there should be a salary cap. Although I think just naturally the market is not going to go into millions of dollars for a charity CEO. But I think that it is absolutely critical that you look at the internal pay equity issue of, you know, your CEO as compared to, to the lowest. And, and I'm not quite sure what, I'm pretty sure there is a, is a standard of, of 
in terms of equity uh, in comparison to see the highest and lowest paid. Like you can't, there, there is some kind of equation, but um, it shouldn't be hu- as hugely unequal as what it sounds like Oxfam's currently got going on. Mm. It's $10.50 versus $400,000. That's enormous. Is there, a, a, is there an exact figure? In terms of? In terms of lowest yeah. to highest ratio? Well, can I, can I suggest that it is actually quite unequal when you take into account unpaid labour, when you take mm. into account mm. the fact that this sector and many NGOs rely on volunteers, volunteers. and interns who are paid mm. nothing, who have no labour rights. And so whatever that number is in any organisation, should you be taking them into account when you're mm. looking at this so a whole bunch, of, a whole bunch of zeros. If there are a whole bunch of zeros, <laughs> that's got to pull. Then the, you've got to. That's got to yeah, pull but I mean, and Oxfam does rely on a lot of of local volunteer organisations and, and people who do dedicate a lot of their time. And and not just here in Australia as well, but just thinking about organisations abroad as well, who who do get funding from donors and are implementing partners of organisations. They also rely on community volunteers. You know, they try and mobilize communities to take ownership of a program and mm-hmm. one of those ways is to get people to volunteer on the program to get yeah, them involved yeah. the volunteers get paid in fields in the fields, fields it's another form of payment fields is definitely another, another form of very <laughs> very valid payment i think yeah i think you got your onto a point there i i, I think about sort of dan palotta mm-hmm. TED talk uh mm-hmm. about the pie like it not necessarily being a limited pie so like the pie for any given organization could could be quite large, and so a CEO of that organisation should get paid some, you know, significant, you know, proportion of that. But then we should also look at that pie and go, okay, who else can be, you know, how much more can we distribute uh, in terms of that to people who say would normally not be paid or be just volunteer, you know, volunteers, and um, can we look at contributing to them as well? I, I forget the organisation who was advertising it, but I remember they were advertising for an intern position. And their task would be to write three literature reviews. Mm. And as someone who has worked as a research assistant and written literature reviews, you know, the the standard pay for a research assistant to do this at, say, an Australian university can be $30 to $45 an an hour. hour. And you're seeking to not pay someone to do three literature reviews. How long would it take to do one? It depends what the scope is, but it, it can take... Weeks right. you know, it's, of, it's, of full-time work. Annotated business. And it's, and it's a highly skilled yeah. type of position as well. It's reviewing and researching. It is. I mean, you, you so have to re- be, you'd have to be a researcher of some kind or a, you know, probably a graduate, postgraduate. This was before they even got the gig, is it? This is just like, an internship. And in, okay, that was part of the internship. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was the internship. It was the internship. But that, and that's, that's often the... The challenge is that one of the pathways into the sector is to do your time at an mm. organisation, you know? Mm. You put in the hours, you yeah. show that you're, air quotes, passionate and committed, <laughs> and that often does lead to a job, mm. which is quite incredible to think about that if, mm. in terms of what the sector needs. You know, I know there was a DevEx forum a few months ago where they had some panellists talking about what does the sector need uh, and and what can you do to get into the sector? And I think one of the number one consensus items was passion and 
which is just utterly ridiculous. We don't need passionate people. But I, but I need to think... We need thoroughly bored people. We need people who are completely disinterested and unattached. Yeah. I, think that, I think that feeds into the unpaid labour mm. issue. Yeah. In that we have that all these... The passion in the feels will fuel you. You will not need money for That's food right. because right. you will be feeling so fantastic. Just but if you demonstrate the feels and the passion, that's going to lead to work. And, that, and that's what a lot of students have in their mindset. If, if I go out and I do all these different volunteering gigs, I will eventually get a job from it, mm. which it seems like a very bizarre career pathway for a sector. Yeah. I mean, it, but it's true though, isn't it really? Like you can't really get a job in development unless you volunteer. Um, I would argue while you volunteer, it depends on what you're doing when you're volunteering and it depends who you're volunteering with and then also if you show skills. Like not orphanages. Not orphanages. <laughs> orphanages. But I mean, people always ask me, you know, how am I going to get a job? Mm. And usually the answer is, well, you haven't done any volunteering, you probably need to. Mm. But then I would say, you know, volunteer with the right type of organisation that can lead to a job and make sure it's time bound and make sure it's yeah. project bound. So I'm going to deliver this, 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 yeah. you know, five literature reviews, <laughs> and then at the end of that, I expect a job or I'm going to move on. Yeah, and well, you, then you'll come out with some set of skills Yeah, to be able to say, I've been able to deliver X, and that, that's what employers want to see is that you have the skill. Mm. That, that you're not just being thrown into something that you don't know how to do. But, I mean, if we do a skills audit, what are those skills, right? So, for example, if project management is a skill, mm. then why don't we say to people, go off and get paid at, a, mm. at an organisation, a corporate, corporate. private, mm. doesn't matter, and learn yeah, project, project management. management, you know, get mentored on project management, be, be part of a project and be part of that process and see what it's like and upskill, etc. And then come back to us. Yeah. Should we start giving out that sort of advice? Well, it makes sense because, I mean, if, if we go back to this idea of passion, it's not like we say to people, go and volunteer in an organisation where you can demonstrate or build on your passion. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have, like, you know, 80. Uber amounts yeah. of passion. <laughs> that's essentially, <laughs> what, that's essentially what we expect. That's essentially what we expect. Yeah, you'll have level yeah. 80 passion and you've gone in with level 60 passion. So, you know, that shows that you're better off to work with this organisation. Yeah, it's a strange thing. I don't know when we're going to get past this mentality, but it's all about passion and, mm. you know, that's what actually drives good aid and development work. Mm. And maybe it's in relation to pay. Maybe it's in relation to, you know, you, you're going to have to really get off on the fields because mm. you're not going to be paid that well. It's generally. absolutely you, right. You're going you're gonna to need to, you know, you're going to be watching your, your, your peers working in the public sector who are earning three times your salary uh, and uh, you're going to have to get by on those, the, the smell of the fields, the, the oily rag that you're <laughs> going to be given. Uh, you better be passionate. <clears throat> well, yeah, did just think about what incentivizes people and looking at the top companies around the world and the, and the top performers outside of the NGO sector, of course. Why are they successful? What motivates their employees? It's surely not passion for a range of very strange products like subprime mortgages. Mm. You know, like I'm sure they didn't have a passion for selling subprime mortgages. It was the monetary incentives that came along with selling the subprime mortgages that yeah. motivated a lot of the people in finance. And, and still, those type of products, what the motivating underlying factor is, is directly money, but it's what people that can then do with that money. You can have the life that you want to live, you can provide for your family, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think people in the NGO sector have that same, you know, feel. Have, uh, have you guys read Dan Pink's Drive? 
in that book drive? No. Yeah, I haven't either. But uh, <laughs> someone told me about it. You haven't seen it Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's a book that I never read. Um, no, no, but I did actually see a talk about it. Um, and he says that there are three things that motivate people. And this interesting experiment that they replicated all over the world where they got people to do certain tasks and they incentivized them with financial bonuses. So you know, if you did well, you got paid more. And what they found was that this works only for tasks that are mundane, that are robotic, that don't really require any thinking. But once it gets above a certain level of thinking, money doesn't motivate anymore. People that don't perform any better. Mm. So the three things that motivate people are purpose, which is obvious, autonomy, which is, I think, less obvious. And the, and the last one, which I think is the least obvious, is mastery. So being good at something. So the mastery one is about, um, you know, why do people spend so much time on Wikipedia contributing to things that they don't get paid for? Why do people code for Linux? Why do people practice guitar on the weekends? Because they want to be good at something. Mm. And that, I think, maybe ties back to your thing, Brendan, about, uh, you know, certain tasks that we need to maybe teach people, like project management and so on. Mm. Maybe if we get people skilled in, in certain things and focus on their skills as opposed to their passion, um, we'll get better outcomes. We'll get people that are more engaged anyway. Absolutely, I agree. So salary cap for NGO workers, maybe not? No. I mean, where but, but equality within a, within an organisation, I think, is, you know, if you have the CEO that's being paid so much more, exponentially more than the, than the least paid person, that's when we need to look at things. But. It's a tricky thing. I mean, where do we, where do we draw the, the line? Like, where is the cap? Mm-hmm. You know, and then also I think it's, it's difficult, though, because with the CEO, it's obvious whether or not that person's performing. But for the lower paid staff, I think a lot of people would argue, I'm not necessarily arguing this myself, but some people would argue that it's harder to notice when a cleaner cleans better. You know, like, should we, mm. is this cleaner worth paying three times more versus this cleaner because it's three times cleaner? I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky question. And as I'm sure we're well aware, a lot of NGOs, because of HR constraints, don't have good employee performance reviews or those type of processes in place to actually, you know, evaluate whether or not their employees are performing well. Speaking of performing well... <laughs> Way, yes, yeah, you're performing topic. well. Um, yeah, so what I wanted to talk about today was a man drought, or I should say a perceived man drought, because I don't know whether or not the man drought's real, we'll find out in a second. But it comes from a conversation that I was having, and this is a conversation I have pretty much every second week in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, amongst a group of people, predominantly women, who were saying that. They were using this app, Tinder. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. I'm sure. I've heard of it, so you're going to have to tell me a bit more about it. It's it's an app where people find other people to uh, engage in activities. Like drinking coffee together. Like drinking coffee together, like listening to Mission Creek, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they were on Tinder in Phnom Penh that arrived from New York, and apparently in New York there's just, you know, endless swiping, there's endless choice of men. But they said after about 10 or 11 swipes they were done. So the whole of Phnom Penh was, I mean, maybe there's not that many people on Tinder in Phnom Penh. But anecdotally, when I arrived in Phnom Penh, I heard the ratio of women to men, at least in the foreigner expat market, in that meat market, it was (laughs) seven to one. So there's seven women, seven women to every one man. And that was definitely, that played into your choice of destination. (laughs) Unfortunately, I found out this after I arrived. well, it was well, fortunately, fortunate. yeah, yeah. it's just dumb luck, really. Um, but 
if so first of all the question is the question the question is is there actually a man drown i think and then secondly is this a problem i mean both in terms of romance and in terms of on a professional level in diversity and so on and then i guess thirdly should we actively seek to bring in men so a kind of affirmative action for men, basically. Should be, yes. In, in, yeah. And you're talking about men, man drought in the development sector? Man drought in development sector, particularly in overseas postings. Overseas postings in the field, generally. Yeah. Well, I, you know, having not, obviously I don't live in Phnom Penh, but I've worked quite a lot in Fiji and I've noticed that there certainly is, I would say more of a, a younger man mm. drought. Uh, there are plenty of old white men mm-hmm. uh, around and uh, you know so I guess and a lot of men who are married and with families and that kind of thing but certainly you would find that amongst the, de- the aid and development worker space there are plenty more women than there are men is this a problem uh, well I guess it depends on what your sexual preference is <laughs> uh, in terms of the, the sex the sex mm-hmm. part of it uh, but affirmative action for men in development. <laughs> I think not only is that a hashtag, but you know we could create a crowdfunding campaign. Okay. Totally, big time. We could get so, you know like funding a funding funding um, education and an internship for men. In, every in time you Instagram a man, Tom's yeah. will send a, a man to this mandrake place. That <laughs> is that's, that's fundraising gold. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think we have to clarify then that it's a 21st century man drought. Because like you said, there are a lot of older, older. men working yeah. in the sector at senior management level positions That's who right. may or may not be married or have a yeah. family. Well, they're, they're the UN res reps and whatever, right. you know, they're, they're ubiquitous. That's right. So we're talking at, at the next generation, our generation. Gen X and Gen, below. Gen, Gen X and below. Oh, Gen Y, I would say. Gen Y? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what Gen- are you, Wei? Whoa. I think you and, you, know, I, you and I are just we're on the Gen cusp. Y. We're on the cusp. So yeah. end of so 81. I, I look at this, end of 81. Yeah, so Way and I are one day apart yeah. in 81, and I think we just make Gen Y. Whereas I'm, I'm in between, I because I don't feel like I'm... Gen X. Gen X. Mm. Yeah, I don't... So we're going to say Gen Y and beyond. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I think in terms of, you know, overseas postings, we would definitely see that sway the other way in conflict zones. Because we would have a lot more men in armies and and you know security forces in those sure. in the sectors. So tough you know, men. Your, your Baghdads, oh, of course, they have to be tough. But coming, coming back to is this a problem? I think there's so much anecdotal evidence to confirm this that in Phnom Penh, in Fiji, in Ghana, you just have a look around at the only good restaurant in northern Ghana, in Tamale, <laughs> and you can see that there are more female. NGO workers, foreigners, mm-hmm. and there are men. But why is this a problem, Brendan? I'm not. I did, I'm not it's saying. Not it's not a problem for okay. you guys. Look, it, it may not necessarily. It it may be a problem, and here's how it could be a problem. Thinking about nursing and teaching, which long ago became very gendered professions, and and perhaps have contributed to a perception of those professions and the expertise and professionalism required, and then feeding back into the salary and the pay. Mm. Mm. The, the, these particularly these two professions, are not paid very well at all. Mm. And does that have anything to do with gender? Mm. So, could so this you're be... blaming women for, for, fault, the low, for the low pay much, rates yeah. in aid and development. Okay. That is really convenient. So I'd, 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 actually, I'd actually have to blame the men for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually have to blame the men. 
but this could be a problem because mm. we there's perception there's perception mm. but also it, it, it's a, a particularly you know thinking about primary school teaching and the lower school teaching where there it is clear from evidence as well and even um, the government's aware of it that there are there are too many women mm-hmm. and, and too you have many or not enough men too many men I think men well that's are. interesting how you yeah no it's, it's very interesting how you frame it mm-hmm. are there too many women or are there not yeah, enough is, men? It, is, is the problem that there exactly. are exactly yeah. why, yeah. why aren't we attracting more men mm. into that particular sector so why, why is an NGO work on a whole attracting more men Mm, maybe absolutely. yeah but it is a, but I think if you go to maybe New York or Geneva or Brussels or London you know at the big HQ mm. offices I'm sure they're attracting plenty of men mm. I'm absolutely. sure that's not the issue absolutely. maybe that's what we need is a survey mm. man drought or woman flood <laughs> which of the two you know, what is the reality push or pull yeah well I think I mean and in terms of it being a problem for the sector and particularly field work you know, if you actually drill down into what makes an effective development worker on the ground, I think it's that men really do serve a purpose in particular circumstances, as do women. And, you know, I really find that being a woman in my field work helps a lot, particularly in terms of, like, say, having focus group discussions. You will not have a... Like, it's just not feasible to have a man running a woman's... <laughs> Focus group discussion, as an example, I will generally split, you know, my groups into male, female, and youth, and and it's just not the the done thing in in this, you know, I guess the cultures that I've worked in that a man would be running those focus groups. But it's actually fine for me to also run the male focus groups. Mm. It actually, it's it's I haven't found it a, to be a barrier so far. Even though I will generally, you know, work with a I guess probably a male NGO partner, but they'll be local on the ground. In order to facilitate that, but it's just not done that a man would be doing the, the woman's. Yeah, it's like when you there. go to a GP and have your, you know, private parts checked. If you're a man, you don't mind having a female doctor checking it, but mm. if you're a woman, generally prefer a female doctor. Yes. So does that mean we need to have more female doctors? <laughs> to bring this back to relationships, yeah, and 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 here we'd be talking about predominantly heterosexual relationships. Mm. Are we going to get a problem that's occurring in China, uh, the so-called, you know, leftover women problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas because of uh, predominantly the one-child policy and a, and, a, and a favoritism in families towards boys, you now ha- have... Leftover men. Leftover men, but also you also have uh, women who don't marry by the age of 27 or a single after 27 are uh, described as leftover women as well. So you have the, all these, you have, Really? Am I a leftover late. woman? It's too, so you it's have, too late. It's too late. It's, oh, I'm done. I'm well, done. So we just... Maybe the answer is polygamy. Well, I wasn't going to suggest, I was going to suggest the answer could be getting all these leftover Chinese men to become aid workers. Oh, more genius. More genius. development studies Not just a pretty face, yo. That is just genius, basically. We, have, we only have Chinese. <laughs> okay, hey, so it's affirmative action for Chinese. For, Chinese. for, Chinese. for, the, for, the, for the leftover men of China. Yeah, for leftover men of China. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I worry for these people who are in places like Phnom Penh because really? maybe up at night, like. a little bit. Sometimes um, all night. <laughs> maybe because <laughs> they can't find good romantic relationships, they're not satisfied, so they sort of flit in and out. Like maybe if they were hooked up with leftover men or any you know, any other like better men, then they would 
stay longer and you'll be happier, then you're more effective at the job. So maybe there is actually an argument that, you know, it's, it's quite uh, reasonable to, to say that these women should be able to find guys to hook up with if they're hetero um, to you know, be better at their work. Don't you think that's a valid argument? Yes. But I, <laughs> I, think, I think that sounds like a perfectly patronising project that you could probably set up and, get, and yeah. raise lots of funds for. Yeah. Valid argument. I don't know. It's an argument. Well, do it for the leftover women. It's an argument. <laughs> but we seem to, in our talks, keep coming back to the idea of having like a Tinder app for, just for aid workers. Mm. A Tinder app for aid workers? Or yeah. you mean just an app for aid workers? Well, maybe just an app for aid workers. Mm. But something that, something that has the same kind of functionality, functionality as, as Tinder. Tinder. Tindev. Tindev. Oh, you guys. <laughs> Just saw that. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure it has to be an acronym. We can't, we, it can't be a word. Oh, it yeah. Oh, it doesn't be anything in development. So, it has to be an acronym. That's right. Something for dev. Or something for dev. Exactly. Dates for dev. Dates for dev. Mm. Dates for dev. Leftover for dev. <laughs> Leftovers <laughs> no, for dev. No. The ones left on the shelf for dev. No, no woman left over behind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh sure guys, I think there's, there is so much gold in that. Well, right. it would be good actually to find out if there's any listeners who can think of any places, I mean, because this is a stereotype based on places that we've been to, mm. are there places in the world where people are doing development aid mm. where there are actually a gluttony of men? And do you have a job for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm very happy with my job, thank you. I'm sure. So, yeah, so, okay. yeah, so is, there a, is there a man flood in some places that we don't know about and mm. it's just a stereotype that we anecdotally hear about? I mean, because in Phnom Penh, seven to one sounds a little bit over the top to me, but I think it's probably more like four to one. Mm. It is pretty extreme. So you go out to, to bars and restaurants and so on, and it's mostly women. Maybe there are places where it's mostly men. I don't know. Okay. So we, I think we've come away with three questions, particularly mm-hmm. for our listeners of Mission Creek. The first one around Nepal, Nepal. and fundraising and mm-hmm. what should you do? How? What is the best way to... Be effective in your contribution. In your contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, second question is: Should there be a salary cap mm. in NGOs? And the third one: Is it a man drought or is it a woman flood? <laughs> and where are they? And where are they? And is there a man flood somewhere else? And I think people can use the hashtag Mission Creep Dev, right? And then any other hashtags they hashtag Mission Creep Dev. They can email us at info at ydev.org. Mm. They can also tweet us at our individual. Twitter, Twitter handles. handles. What's BJ. your Twitter handle, Charlie? At Carly Stefan. At Carly Stefan at W M Y at B J Wigby. So we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us, Way and Carly. And we've got to plug one more plug. Uh, yeah, plug. One more plug. This brilliant man over here, Mr. Yo, and his OIC fundraising. Can you tell us a bit about the crowdfunding you've got going on? We are crowdfunding on a website called Start Some Good. Um, And what we're trying to do is raise money to bring the stories of 20 unheard and unseen children to the Cambodian government and the UN to kickstart action in speech therapy. So the biggest gap in terms of health services in Cambodia, we have a moment where we can bring the story to decision makers. But to get there, we need support. And the campaign at the moment is raised over 15,000, I think, last count. So the campaign is startsomegood.com backslash unseen underscore unheard. But we'll put the link in the the notes, Mm. I'm sure. And you've got until the end of this week to donate? We've got until the 19th of May. 19th of May. So about a week and a half. Yeah, a week and a half. 
Excellent. Nine so days. you get to donating, helping out. And there are some there are some cool um, gifts for people. There are who... some great rewards, yeah. yeah. There's lots of different types of rewards and they've been snaffled up mostly. So there are still a few good ones left. Fantastic. Fantastic. So 19th of May, put in your diaries, get behind it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, and spread the word. Spread, spread the, the word. word through the tweets. You'll get a lot of the feels, the feels. if you donate to the campaign. <laughs> Maximum feels. Maximum feels, guaranteed. You may even get flooded with men. Oh. Or women, whatever you prefer. <laughs> That's right. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks, thanks guys. guys. Sweet. That was good.